Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. I'm Brandon Russell, and I'm the online writer here at IFA Magazine. Joining me on the podcast today is our editor, Sue Whitbread. Hi, everybody. It's Sue speaking, and it'll be no surprise to you to know that consumer duty is coming at us fast. And along with it are new rules on vulnerable clients for advisors to contend with. And it's a hot topic here on IFA Magazine, has been for some time, one we wanted to follow up on with the podcast. And so I'm really delighted to introduce our guest today. He's the perfect person. And it's Jonathan Barrett, who is CEO and co-founder of Comentis, an organisation he helped to set up a few years ago now just to use innovation and technology to help identify and to protect the vulnerable as well as those at risk. So, Jonathan, welcome to IFA Talk. We're really pleased to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to uh, great to join you all. Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, it's great to have you on today. Uh, like Sue said, consumer duty and vulnerable clients are really hot topics with IFA magazine readers. But before we dive into the detail, could you tell us a bit about yourself and why you set up Comentis back in 2021? Of course, of course. So, yeah, um, hi to you all. Um, why did we set up Comentis? It, it's a great question. So, we actually started what back into the 2019, 2020. It was COVID. It was really interesting. We set the business up through COVID, and given what we do around vulnerability, it, I, I think it was a very telling time to set it up. Um, really interesting. But essentially, what happened is it was quite clear a the direction of travel from the regulator around vulnerability but also I suppose the wider sort of social demographics and what was happening, that this was a really important factor for advisors um, or for anyone in financial services space. And what we saw was a landscape where everything was very much left to advisors to do it themselves, no real guidance, no real support, no real process. And I think what became quite clear was they're gonna need help. They're gonna need support. So uh, myself and one of my co-founders, a guy called Tim Farmer, who many of you may or may not know of, but he's sort of considered one of the leading experts around the mental capacity and financial vulnerability. Um, we, we literally bumped into each other uh, at an event and Tim was doing a presentation and I thought, this is really interesting stuff. There's a way we can use technology um, to support the, you know, support advisors around this. And it was really from that, um, the whole concept was born really. Um, and I suppose we've sort of been on that journey and it's been really interesting because we've been going through that journey that we've seen how the regulator has been on a similar journey um, as well. So I think we were very fortuitous uh, for timings, without a doubt. I'd love to say it was planned and organised, but but I'd, I'd be lying to myself as, as others. So it, it's really from that that we got started. There was a third co-founder that I brought along um, so who I previously worked with from a technology background. My background is financial services. I'm an ex-advisor. Um, so sort of been there, done it and, and got the T-shirt. But I suppose my last 15 years have been very much focused on how can we use technology within financial services to support, you know, the role played by advisors, by lenders, by manufacturers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was good timing, uh, very fortuitous bumping into Tim and really out of that, then through COVID, 
Comentus was was born essentially and, and launched in May 2021. So, so we've just had our second anniversary. Well, congratulations on the anniversary, Jonathan. Thank and uh, I must confess, well, well done for telling us that it was actually just fortuitous rather than <laughs> pre-planned, because the 31st of July coming up and the new consumer duty rules will come into force. So I wondered if I could ask you to explain what are the key changes that are taking place from the 31st of July that advisors need to know about in connection to vulnerable clients and vulnerabilities. But we'll touch on that one in a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. I mean, I suppose the starting point here is to say that it will come to no surprise that vulnerable clients, vulnerabilities and vulnerable circumstances, and there's, there's differences between each, really has been a very strong focus from the regulator for, for a number of years now. I mean, back in 2014-15, they started talking about vulnerability. We then had the guidance issued um, a couple of years back, 2021 again, or 2022, if my memory serves me correctly, about the fair treatment. And then what we've now seen, obviously, is everything really culminated in, in consumer duty. So we're seeing the identification and support of, of client circumstances specifically around vulnerability has really moved from guidance to, to principle. So a real hardening of approach. This is not something which we, we would like advisors and firms to do. This is something we expect them to do. And I think, you know, we've seen that baked into throughout consumer duty, A, across, you know, the four pillars and principles, but also, you know, in the cross-cutting rules that we've seen come out. And, and I really think, you know, out of any sort of meta-theme, if you like, that sits within consumer duty, vulnerability is one that appears multiple times. I think I heard once that the word vulnerability is mentioned like 110 times um, in, in the consumer duty documentation. Oh, blimey. That shows I, I don't know who sat there and counted them. I mean, hats off to them for that. Um, but it really is that constant thread running through. So I think some of those fundamental changes that, that we're going to see, you know, both as a regulation, but then also in supervision activity moving forward is the ability to identify whether a client is vulnerable across all the four triggers that they defined, the health events, life events, resilience and capability. Um, but then also to be able to document it. And I think most importantly, to be able to show the outcomes. Now, we all know this is this is the key shift here from, from the regulator. This is moving you know, from the TCF environment to the um, consumer, um, consumer duty environment. I think it's much more about outcomes and being able to demonstrate that outcomes. So when it comes to vulnerability, there is now a, a, a requirement to show that if a client is, is vulnerable or in a vulnerable circumstance, they are not going to have a different outcome to a client who isn't. And I think that is the one key shift. So it is it is a big shift, to be honest, especially when you think about vulnerability, because you know, there's a lot of issues around vulnerability about identifying it. You know, these are not easy things to spot. You know, these are things which clients will quite often keep keep hidden and won't share or have coping mechanisms. So it is it is a tall ask. Um, and I think you now that's where we felt we came in with Comentus. And again, we're having that that clinical approach and a clinical team can really help advisors identify, you know, th those more cognitive based um, vulnerabilities. Now, how people are thinking, how they're acting, how they're going to react to something. Um, so I, I do certainly think that that it is quite a paradigm shift 
um, around vulnerability, both in terms of regulations, but also in terms of expectations. Um, and I think it's no longer going to be really sort of you know, deemed acceptable for advice say, well, we don't have any vulnerable clients, um, or yeah, we, we asked them and, and they said, no, they're not, and a tick box exercise. So it is very much moving away again under consumer duty now it comes from this tick box, but understanding and being able to support them. Um, I think an important point to remember is, you know, this doesn't lead or need a significant shift in terms of what you're already doing. We know advisors look after their clients. You know, they understand them, they really get them and they support them. This is more about just taking a slightly different look at it from a more mental health type perspective, usually, and being able to document it as well. As we know, you know, documentation, record keeping, absolutely crucial. Um, again, you know, the other big shift we're hearing from regulators, they're wanting to move to a more data driven regulator. So you then need vulnerability data. And that's again, that, 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 that's, that's a tricky thing to do, given the nature of vulnerability. So I think they're going to be the key shifts we're going to see and certainly an expectation to be able to demonstrate you understand whether any of your customers are vulnerable or clients are vulnerable and that you've taken suitable actions to support them and have that all documented. Oh, that's a really concise summary there. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm sure that's helped a lot. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Carrying on with the topic of vulnerability then, how can advisors distinguish between vulnerabilities and vulnerable circumstances? Um a cracking question. I like this one. So it, it's a really interesting area. So, so we've seen, again, the, the, the regulators terminology in this, I think, change over time as well. We're talking about vulnerabilities. We're then talking about vulnerable circumstances. So what's the difference? What's the difference? And it's really, really important as advisors, you are able to distinguish between the two. So a vulnerable circumstance, I say, let's say, Rule number one, a vulnerable circumstance does not necessarily mean someone is vulnerable. So there you go, there's a myth buster for you to start with. What yeah. we have here is, is a vulnerable circumstance is someone who is in a circumstance which has been defined by the FCA as, as they could be vulnerable. So, you know, in the life event, something like a, a divorce or a bereavement. And I'll stick with those examples as we move, as we move through to show that, that how a vulnerable circumstance may not mean someone is vulnerable. So range of vulnerable circumstances, however, age for example you you could say is a vulnerable circumstance but as we know age does not mean that someone is necessarily vulnerable so a vulnerable circumstance is, is the circumstance they're in but a vulnerability is down to how or if that circumstance is actually affecting that individual and at the end of the day that's the bit that's going to need support age a bereavement that in itself does not mean someone is vulnerable and that someone needs support how they're reacting or dealing or coping with those circumstances is actually where the underlying vulnerability sits. So the clinical term, uh, I have been reliably informed on multiple occasions by Tim and the clinical team, is what's called causative nexus. So what is the, the connection between the circumstance and the impact it's having on the individual? Because it's the, it's the impact you need to deal with as an advisor. So that's why it's really important to differentiate between the two. I mean, you know, to bring it to life, to give you some examples, if we think about bereavement, you know, um, someone who has lost a lifelong partner who looked after the finances, who did most of those things for them, that vulnerability 
is going to be so different for that individual than, than someone who has lost an uncle who they didn't often see um, unless you know they've had an inheritance of two hundred thousand pounds and they've gone and bought a house so that's the financial transaction they're engaged in now is getting the mortgage so the vulnerable circumstance is the same bereavement but the vulnerability is is entirely different and the same could be said you know something something like divorce you know, someone could be ecstatic and happy to be going through that that, that process yeah. and someone may not so again, it's really, really important to, number one, you need to identify the circumstance and consistently identify the circumstance. But then you also need to understand and identify, is it having an impact? And I think a really important area here that whether it is or is not having an impact, you still need to record the circumstance. The last thing we would suggest anyone do is you know, use the example of bereavement, and it was you know, an, an uncle or whatever. Um, and then go, oh, I don't need to log that. I don't need to record it because it's not having an impact. You still need to record each step of that process because that is what they're going to be looking at is have you identified the vulnerable circumstance and what impact is it having on that individual? Then the third stage is what are we doing to support that individual? And a really important thing also to remember is what you need to do to support a client who is vulnerable. You don't have to shift your whole process. Again, it's a conversation we regularly have with advisors is I don't really want to you know, lift the lid on that because I don't know how to support them. I may need to change my process. Not true. Most of these things just require small changes. You know, little things like breaking meetings down into shorter sessions, providing documentation in different formats. Again, a lot of these things I know advisors already do, but it's just about putting a process in under that vulnerability lens. So when it's questioned, you can say, well, yes, I already do it. Here's it's documented. Here's where it's documented. But I think the one big challenge that does exist is, is identifying some of those, that impact, that causative nexus, because that's hard. That's hard for you know, uh, healthcare professionals, for example, to do. And our clinical team have got a number of healthcare professionals in there. So what we try and do is, is in part, take their skill and their experience and put it into technology, which means actually you don't have to make that deduction because you know you're not mental health experts and you shouldn't you know you spend enough plates as an advisor so you really shouldn't have that additional very wobbly uneven plate uh, as well to spend again and I think that's that's where we sort of come in but yeah hopefully that clarifies the difference and um, and we just you know our advice is never assume one is the same as the other they're not they need to be recorded separately as well undocumented as you as you say 100 documented good so jonathan I, I this is going by all too quickly today <laughs> but uh we come to our last last question in the conversation and i'd love to hear what you'd pick out as your top tips for advisors on how they can make sure that they're prepared and that they're ready for the new rules as they relate to vulnerable clients, to vulnerabilities, to vulnerable situations, and the whole shabam. Over <laughs> to you. <laughs> uh, okay, um, that's probably a long list of tips. I'll try and I'll try and condense <laughs> down. Um, I think the first the first premise, first place to start is have a process in place, like you do for everything else. Have a process. Um, if you have a process and you're prepared when you do identify a vulnerability it's fine you can put a, a normal policy into place so that that's the first thing. and have those those policies um you can create your own there's others that are produced out there by other people we have a whole set 
uh, as well that we've worked with our clinical team and other experts to build out. The second golden rule, and this is, is a very close vying for first place with the other one, assess all your clients. Absolutely all. Of, please don't just assess those that you think may be vulnerable. Most vulnerables are certainly a lot of vulnerabilities. Certainly the resilience and capability based vulnerabilities are likely to be hidden and are not going to be really obvious. You know, divorce, bereavement, those sort of things. You, you can spot and client, we talk about them because it's having an impact on the advice that they receive it. However, that only represents 50 percent of you know, the triggers identified by the FCA or detailed by the FCA. So please assess all clients. The other thing you'll have then if you don't assess all clients is any MI you have will be significantly skewed because you'll just be reaffirming what you think is, is the case. So, you know, if you can look at your, your vulnerability register or, or your log and say, yeah, no, you know, 98% of all those um, we assessed were vulnerable. Well, of course it is. It's, it's you know, self-fulfilling. So do assess all clients. Um, the other one was, please don't use the word vulnerability with a client. In this instance, vulnerability is 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 a regulator's construct. They've defined what vulnerability is in their eyes. A lot of it, a client won't think of it as vulnerable or vulnerability. So again, we really advocate people stay away from from those words when the client facing. Um, you know, our assessment, for example, we call it a, a, um, a whole range of stuff. You know, a, a financial well-being assessment, financial well-being questionnaires, that sort of side of things. Because ultimately, what vulnerability is all about, if we really drill it down. It's about identifying if there's any traits or factors that your client has that you can help support them to get the better outcome. So please, you know, we do advocate, don't use that. Um, and, you know, recording, top tip, absolutely recording. Assess every client and, and record every outcome. I mean, I, I have a sort of a mantra which I use a lot, probably because I used to do this myself when I was advising, is you know, advisors generally are pretty good at recording what they've done. I would argue they're less good at recording what they haven't done and why they haven't done it. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely vital. You know, if someone isn't vulnerable, have it documented. Record why they're not vulnerable. Because the last thing you want to do is you, you know, that to come back and, and, and catch you out at a later date. So I think, yeah, you know, top tips, don't use the word vulnerability. Have a process. Assess all your clients. Um, and I suppose I, I naturally say, you know, have you know be consistent and objective and that's a really tough area and again that is where technology such as ours can come in it can give you a consistent and objective process um beyond that you know i suppose the final point is don't be afraid to broach the topic um you know don't be afraid to do so i guarantee you will be able to support your clients and and, and some of the you know give them better outcomes some of the feedback we get you know Clients or advisors who've looked after clients for 20 plus years running one of our assessments and then sort of contact us going, God, do you know what? We've had this client and we never knew this client was, you know, um, was neurodivergent or you know, had dyslexia or didn't always, couldn't always read the documentation we provided. So, you know, it's one of those things that, that you can broach and have that conversation. And I guarantee it, it will help you in all the existing great work you're doing in supporting your, your, your client. Um, so yeah, I, I think that sort of covers top tips. I could probably talk for hours and hours about top tips, <laughs> but I, I think they're some of the key key things I would say, and we we would say, and again, I know Tim and the clinical team would, would say, 
um, to allow you to support them. I, I think that's a, a really powerful summary there, Jonathan, and I'm sure those listening into the podcast will will be writing them down as we speak. And let's hope that things are, are fairly well along the line, given how little time there is in terms of, of turning those things around and getting the processes and the outcomes and the, 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 the documentation all in place. But mm. I thank you for joining us today. And in the show notes, we will sign post where advisors can get more help from Commentis with the support that you provide. So thank you for, for sharing your expertise with us today. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's been, been great to chat with you both. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.